For the rest of you, please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of James. We're going to be in chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. This morning, two verses, but jam-packed. That's where we'll be, chapter, James chapter 1, 26 and 27. Uh, yeah, thanks again to Jordan for being willing to share uh, your story this morning. I always feel good uh, when... Like, I could get up here and just totally bungle my sermon, but it won't matter because you all already got the word this morning. That's the good news of the gospel, so thank you for sharing. She was uh, very nervous about going too long, and uh, you could have gone 20 more minutes, and it would have been great. But, um, yeah, thank you so much. And, yeah, they're just, uh, just to brag on her family a little bit, that just uh, they're ex- excited about God's word, and that's what I really love, that there are times where they're, they're coming up to me and just telling me, this is what we're, we're, we're reading the Bible together as a family, and this is what we're learning and studying. Just, I love that excitement. I saw a Facebook post from, I think, Suzanne Martin maybe last week. I don't know where she is, but uh, so kind of the same kind of thing of just like, yeah, there she's high. I didn't tell her I was going to say that she did not give me permission, but it's a good thing. But just that, hey, I read this in the Bible. I never knew it before, and how cool is this? Like, that's the kind of people we all need to be. Like, we need to be excited about God's word and what it has for us and so I love that and that always fires me up. So uh, speaking of being excited about God's word, I'm excited to be in James this morning. Like I said, we've got a lot to get to. Let's do something, we don't really do this ever, but let's do something we don't do very often. Why don't you stand with me and we'll uh, read God's word uh, together as I read God's word. Please stand with me, James chapter 1 verses 26 and 27. It says this, if anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the word. Heavenly Father, God, as we jump into your word this morning, help us to be people who bridle our tongues, who care for the helpless and to keep unstained from the world and help us to know what that means. God, make it alive to us. It's only the Holy Spirit that can do that, so we just pray that your Spirit would come and fill this place, fill our hearts, and apply the Scripture to our lives, God. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I have a um, hair that is attacking me. (laughs) Not pointing any fingers, but I think it's my wife. (laughs) Well, I am, uh, I'm 32 years old, and uh, as a 32-year-old, I'm kind of in this unique generation. Some of you are in this, raise your hand if you're in this generation with me, like, you're the last people, we are the last people who can, like, barely remember life before the internet. Like, you have just this vague, Paulette, yep, that's you, me and you, Paulette, we're in that same, <laughs> same category. We just, like, barely remember what it was like to do things before the internet. I remember when my family got our first computer. I remember what, what that was like with, you know, the whole dial-up and everything. And uh, so there's, as a, in that generation, there's certain things, as I've now become an adult, really growing up in the first internet age, as I become an adult, there's certain things that I just can't even fathom doing without the internet. Like, I don't know how these things were done before. Like, driving, for example, getting places. How did people do that before? Like, when I was learning to drive, it was, you go to mapquest.com and, and you print out your directions, you have the list, and at least you, but that's still using the internet, you know, and I just can't, like, I, I guess you'd stop and ask people how to get places and write it down. I don't, pull out a map. I don't know. I can't even imagine what that was like. Here's another one that I was thinking about this week which is, I, I really can't, like no tongue-in-cheek, I really don't know how this worked. Flying on an airplane, 
How did this happen before the, like, did you call the airport and ask what, like, do you have any flights on Wednesday? Like, is that, is that how it happened? I don't, I'm getting some head nods. I can't even picture, like, imagine how to book a flight without going online and, uh, and finding a flight online. And then another one um, that I've thought about is buying a house. Buying a house, which, like, you can't even imagine doing it without the internet. I mean, 90% of buying a house is you're spending time on Zillow or Realtor.com or whatever and clicking through pictures, and then you go to Google Maps and try to see the area where that's located and do the Google Earth view and see kind of, we know what the, the location looks like. And that's what we did when we were moving here and checking out Tipton and looking at different houses, and that's just what you, I don't know, I guess, did they have, like, books of pictures of houses before, or I, your realtor would just take you there. I don't, I don't, again, I can't really picture this. But uh, anyways, all that to say, when you're, when you're buying a house, that's where we're getting with this, is like, that's a key part of it, is looking at pictures on the internet, or I guess in a book in the old-fashioned way, and then kind of seeing what it looks like. But we've all probably had this experience if you've bought a house, and I had this experience recently this week, we're not necessarily looking to buy a house, but there was just a house that came up on the internet, and it's like, oh, that looked, and I was right nearby, so we drove past it, and uh, there's all these pictures look great, and then you dro- we drove past it and pulled it into the driveway, and it was a immediate, oh boy, there's, a, there's some things that, that were hidden in the photos. It, it takes a very, you, a very talented real estate photographer can take a house that looks one certain way and make your eye, like, you don't notice, like, the rotting floorboards because they take your eye in the pictures to something else. But when you get there and when you show up, there's no hiding a, a rotten house, right? You, as good as the pictures look, when you show up, you know what's really on the inside. The same principle can be true of us spiritually, can it? Like it can be possible to make ourselves look good on the outside, make ourselves look holy, look righteous, look like we're doing all the right things. We know all the right words to say to make it look like we're really following Jesus. It's possible to make ourselves look one way on the outside, but on the inside realize that there's a lot more rotting away that we care to admit. It's easy to fake it as a Christian sometimes, isn't it? I was just uh, talking to uh, Bill Forsyth right before the service. He gave me permission to, to share this, but I just said, how are you? He said, not great. <laughs> I'm not going to fake it. And it's like, that's exactly, and they're, and they're going through something with their daughter right now, and we need to be praying for this family that's like exactly what the church is all about. And we talk about this sometimes. Like if you feel like coming to church, like I need to put on my happy face and fake it so that I can come to church, you're just missing the point completely about what church is all about. We come to church as who we are, as real people, with real baggage, with real hurts, with real flaws. And we come together, and as that flawed group of people, we're able to worship our creator and strengthen one another and hold each other up, and point each other to the cross. That's what the church is all about. But unfortunately, it can be really, really easy to fake it, can it? Yes? You might not be surprised to hear that Jesus was not super impressed with the kind of people who made themselves look super spiritual, but on the inside were uh, anything but. This is what he says about the Pharisees in Matthew 23. Listen to this. You can turn there if you want. Matthew 23, verses 25 to 28. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Strong words. I don't know the last time you had somebody point to you and say, Woe to you. But that's a, 
It's not something you want to hear from Jesus. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Listen to what he says. For you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and plate that the outside may also be clean. How would you feel if you went to a restaurant? I have this, uh, whenever I think about this, I... Uh, my dad tells a story of one time he was at uh, Waffle House and there was this cup, uh, this coffee cup on their table that somebody brought, the waitress brought over for them and it had a big lipstick mark right on the outside of it and, uh, and the, wait, the guy showed it to the waitress and he said, she said, oh, that's where I put my coffee cup. So, um, but how would you feel if you showed up to a restaurant and uh, you, had a, you had a cup with your drink in it and the inside was just filthy? And you showed it to the waiter, and he said, well, the outside's clean, right? What's, what's the problem? Look at the outside. It's spotless. The inside's disgusting. So Jesus says about the Pharisees, you're taking so much time scrubbing the outside. That's not what matters. The inside is dirty. You're just trying to make the outside look clean. And then he goes on, verse 27, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. The same exact thing. For you're like whitewashed tombs which appear outwardly to be beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Jesus was not impressed with spirituality that appears to be righteous on the outside, but on the inside is anything but... There's a danger, isn't there, in wanting to appear that way to other people, wanting to appear more spiritual, more holy than we really are. And Jesus says no matter how much scrubbing you do on the outside, if the inside isn't clean, you're just a whitewashed tomb. Ouch. Clean on the outside, dead on the inside. Last week we talked about the difference between people who hear the word and ignore it and people who, excuse me, hear the word and do what it says in verse, chapter 1, verse 23, gave this analogy of a mirror. It says, for if anyone is a hearer of, a wor- of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. He's studying his face in the mirror. He looks at himself and then once at once goes away and forgets what he looks like. We talked about why is a mirror important, right? A mirror is not important so you can see everything that's going on good with yourself. A mirror is important so that you can see the problem areas need to be addressed. We talked about how foolish would it be if you see, look in the mirror, you see you got a big piece of food in your teeth, and then you walk away. You don't do anything about it. That's how God's word functions in our lives, like a mirror. It shows us the areas that we need to work on, the areas that we need to grow to become more like Jesus. Jesus is the perfect reflection. We got some flaws. And so God's word shows us, every single one of us, those areas we need to grow. And how foolish is it to see that, to come face to face with that mirror, and then turn and walk away and do nothing about it. Don't just hear the word, James says. Do what it says. That's the context of our passage this morning. And then these, these next verses that we're going to study this morning are right on the, bit, on the uh, piggybacking off of that idea. Don't just hear the word. Do what it says. So the question is, how can we know if we're not just hearers of the word, but if we're actually doers of the word? And James, the ever-practical James, gives three very practical tests of our hearts that we see here. Very three practical tests of our hearts. Look again at verse 26. If anyone thinks he was religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, 
that person's religion is worthless. So test number one, do you bridle your tongue? Verse 27, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. Affliction. Test number two, do you care for the helpless? And to keep oneself unstained from the world, are you living a pure life? Those are the three tests that James gives. And it's important to note before, we're going to talk about each one of those things, but it's important to note, James is not giving an exhaustive list of everything that you need to do to live the Christian life here. That's not what he's doing. He's giving tests to know where your heart is at. It's a good test of your heart. So not every game that's played with a bat and a ball is baseball, but if you don't have a bat and a ball, you're not playing baseball. You see what I'm saying there? Just because you're doing these things doesn't mean that uh, you're doing everything you need to do, but if you're not doing these things, then you are, your faith is in trouble. It's not worth as much as you think. That's what James says. And that's important because especially verse 27, there are many people who would take that out of context Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. And there are some people who would take that verse and say that, oh, the only thing that matters in following Jesus is how you care for others in, like, in, in the social realm and caring for the helpless. Like your theology doesn't matter, your conduct doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is how you care for other people. And that's not what James is saying at all. So we need to not take this out of context He's not saying these are the only things that matters, but he is saying if you don't have a concern at all for the helpless, for the vulnerable in society, then your faith is not worth as much as you think. So we need to understand what he's doing here. He's giving three tests of our faith. And so the question is, how do you know if you have real faith or not? And the first test that he gives, like we said, is do you control your tongue? Do you control your tongue? If anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. So if you go back to that analogy of real estate photography, of something, of pictures that look good on the outside but you show up, this is the first kind of major red flag. You look good, you look spiritual, but when you get up close, you see the ugly reality of an unbridled tongue, an unbridled tongue tongue. It's the analogy he's giving, and he's going to expound on this later in chapter 3, is that of a horse with like the reins in its mouth, the bit, the bridle that you control. It's a small part of the horse, but it, uh, you control uh, much with just a very little part. I don't know if any of you are horse people or had much experience riding a horse. I've had one experience riding a horse in my life, and um, it was a bad one. It was uh, my friend in high school uh, had a horse, and uh, he uh, would ride it some. He actually had this little like buggy that we would attach to the back of it, and we'd go on rides. But one time he he uh, it was pretty ridiculous. We looked ridiculous looking back. But uh, one time he said, "You know, you should just hop on and ride it." And I I'm trying to remember. I don't think there was a saddle. I think I just hopped on bareback. There certainly weren't any reins or anything. But he I trusted him. I didn't know anything, and so I hopped on, and he kind of told me what to say to get it going. And so it kind of walked around for a little bit at first, and. And then I think it just sensed, like, my deep insecurity. Like, it could just tell, like, this guy has no idea what he's doing. And I promise you, this horse, I think, just decided it was going to mess with me. Like, so we started off slow, and then all of a sudden, without any warning, this horse just took off, like, in a, just a dead gallop. And I was just hanging on for dear life, 
screaming like a little girl, I'm sure. It's all a blur. He lived on this country road. It was, uh, you know, cars drive 55 miles an hour. I, I, it felt like we were passing cars left and right on this, on this uh, road. And then, like, and then all of a sudden it just slowed down and stopped and then just went back to a trot. and went, Like, I, seriously, I think it was just trying to mess with me. But my, my friend's mom uh, afterwards said she saw me out the window and had never seen the horse go that fast and had no idea how I hung on. It probably could have been really bad. But the point is... I learned a valuable lesson about the power of an unbridled horse. <laughs> I had no control, none, <laughs> other than hanging on for dear life. James says the tongue is the same way. It's a small part, and it has tremendous power to lead you places that you don't want to go the bridle is a small part in the mouth of a horse that wields great power, and the tongue is the same way. Left unchecked, it can bring great destruction. Jesus said something similar in Luke chapter 6. He said, For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of his heart, his mouth speaks. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. My mom used to always say it like this when I would say something mean to my brother, which almost never happened. She said, what comes out of your mouth is a reflection of what's in your heart. She said that over and over and over again, and I hated it. What comes out of your mouth is a reflection of what's in your heart. I said some unkind words. Mike, what comes out of your mouth is a reflection of what's in your heart. I hated it, but it was true. It is true. The things that you say don't just happen in a vacuum. The words that you speak aren't just random. It's a reflection of what's going on in your heart, which is why this is such a good test of where your faith is at. Because again, the first time you read this passage, this might feel just, why does he choose these three random things to know if you have real faith or not? It's because if, you're, if your words are, are out of control and unchecked, it's revealing you got some rottenness in your heart that those words are springing from. Rotten words are the fruit of a rotten heart. If you're constantly angry, snapping at others. Man, we, were, we went to this boo at the zoo this week, and we were waiting in line for the train, and uh, we were just talking, and, and all of a sudden this guy in line just like snapped at his daughter. I think she was trying to like grab his phone or something and it, it was embarrassing. It went, everyone just looked like what in the world just happened? It was one of these like yikes moments. We can all be prone to things like that, right? Like you just snap for no reason. Like what's going on? It's showing something's going on in your heart is what's happening. If you're constantly angry. If you're slandering other people all the time saying negative things, trying to hurt their reputation, which you can do to both people you know and don't know, by the way. We need to remember that, church. Slander is a sin, and you can just as easily slander someone you know versus someone you don't know. You don't get a free pass to say whatever you want about someone just because you've never met them. Slander, prideful boasting, 
Just foul language, coarse joking, lying, saying things that aren't true, big lies, little lies, like all these things. What comes out of your mouth is a reflection of what's in your heart. That's why Jesus said, no good tree bears bad fruit and no bad tree bears good fruit. Your words are going to show what's going on. Do you think of yourself as a religious person, James asks? Are you impressed with yourself, with your, the way that you're following Jesus? Guess what? It's all worthless if you're not keeping your tongue in check. There's great power in an unbridled tongue, and it's a power that, that can lead to destruction. It's the first thing that doers of the word do. It's the first test that we have of what's going on. Do we have true, authentic faith? Are you controlling your tongue? That's the first test that James gives us. And if not, then it's a symptom of what's happening in your heart. Test number two. Do you care for the helpless? Do you care for the helpless? Instead of that worthless religion, James says, here's what true religion looks like. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. Again, James isn't trying to say this is the only thing that following Jesus means. The only thing you need to worry about is caring for the helpless. But he is saying if you aren't caring for the helpless, you aren't following Jesus. I don't know another way to understand that verse. It's convicting. Why did he mention orphans and widows specifically? Why does he say to visit orphans and widows and their affliction? It's simply because back then things were different than they are today in the sense that um, if you were a woman, you couldn't just go out and get a job and provide for yourself. So you were dependent on your husband to provide for your material needs. And obviously the same true for kids. And so if you were an orphan or a widow, you literally had no way. You were utterly dependent on other people to provide for your needs. It talks about their affliction. It's literally that, like that word is talking about like their need for food and clothing and shelter. So James says if you want your words to mean anything, when you say you're following Jesus, if you want the picture to match the reality then those words better be backed up by a concern for those who are the most vulnerable and the most helpless in society. And the reason for that is because this is the heart of God himself. Again, it's not just a random thing. This is baked into who God is. Deuteronomy 10, 17 to 19 tells us that. For the Lord your God is a God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. John says the same thing in a different way in 1 John chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. See if this is as convicting to you as it was to me. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? If anyone has the world's goods and sees someone in need and closes their heart against them, how can you say that God's love abides in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. So what do we do with this? This is convicting. I think there's a couple different levels we need to think about this. So think about it on a personal level. In your life, right now, whether you're single or married, 
family, like in your life, in your sphere, like you need to be asking, who fits into this category? Who has God given me the opportunity to show his love to? What needs are right in front of me that I might not be opening my heart to? Some of you are like amazing at this, honestly. I'm looking out at some of you right now who are just incredible at seeing other people's needs and meeting those needs selflessly. You're an example. It's, it's amazing. Others of you are maybe feeling like you need to grow in this area. But wherever you're at, you know, I think it's just something we can pray about because this is near to the heart of God. So here's, here's my challenge to us, not to just make you feel guilty for what you're doing or not doing. Here's my challenge to us. Why don't we all, where you're at, like I said, if you're single, you're married, you have kids, pray together and ask the Lord to show you one thing that's within your sphere that you can do to help somebody who needs help. Like, what's one thing? If we all prayed that, don't you think God would answer that prayer? If this is near to the heart of God, don't you think he'll show you that? And then when he shows you that, you can act on it. This is what real faith looks like. So that's my challenge. Can we do that? Can we pray? And just, Lord, what's one thing? What's one area? One practical need? What's something, one thing that we can do? Let's see what the Lord does. And then let's share those stories with each other and give God the glory for all that he's doing. So on the personal level, I think we just need to be asking the Lord. And I know he will answer. But then there's another level, and I want to think of it on the church level too. Because again, we're taking this time and we're thinking about who we're going to be and who the Lord is calling us to be as a church moving forward. And so we need to be asking, what are we doing as a church for the helpless around us? And there's a lot that we're doing right now that encourages me, that excites me. This is why we have the Benevolence Fund. Maybe you know this, maybe you don't. We have money that we set aside every month to give to people in our community in need if they ask. We have a team of people who gathers and, and we get applications from people if they need rent assistance or assistance on other bills and they pray about it and they talk about it and they try to use wisdom to figure out where that money can go and every single month we give money to people in our community who are in need. It's why we have our no-questions-asked food pantry, right? It's why we partner with ministries like Teen Blast, whose mission is to reach kids right where they are. Not telling them you need to clean up your life before you hear the gospel, but to reach kids right where they are and then let the gospel change their hearts. We love that. That's why I love it when I see things like that Warp Small Group we talked about a couple weeks. They built that ramp for uh, the uh, homebound individual in Kokomo. Where I get excited when people in our church are opening up their homes for foster care and adoption. Or the story I heard yesterday of somebody who reached out to someone in our church uh, and said, I just need some help cleaning my house. And we have every man a warrior group who met on Saturday morning and then afterwards they got their cleaning supplies and they went over and they cleaned this person's house because that's what it's all about. That's how we put legs to our faith. Knowledge is important, 
Understanding is vital, but we got to live it out. We got to put legs to the things we believe because you can say you believe something. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? How can we say, if we close our heart to the needs of those around us, how can we really say that the God of the universe's love is in us? Because he looked at us, on, he looked upon our helpless state, and he didn't close his heart to you. Amen? God didn't close his heart to you when you were in desperate need more than you even realize right now how bad and desperate need you were of the love of God. And God didn't close his heart to you, so we cannot, as followers of Jesus, be people who close our hearts to others. If we want to be a doer of the word, and not just faking it, We need to care for the needs of those around us. Finally, the third test. Just keep the conviction train going this morning. Third test of authentic, true faith is this. Are you living a pure life? That's what he says in the end of verse 27. To keep oneself unstained from the world. To keep yourself unstained from the world. I thought about this a lot. This week, what does that mean, keep yourself unstained from the world? Because, again, the first time you read it, it kind of sounds like, well, if I mess up, if I sin, if I do something wrong, then I'm stained and I'm in trouble. I don't think that's what it means. In fact, I know that's not what it means. That's not how following Jesus works. I think keep the idea of being unstained by the world has to do, though, with rejecting the patterns of the world. What I mean by that is rejecting how the world thinks. Rejecting what the world values. Rejecting how the world acts. We need to reject those patterns, those ways that we're tempted to behave in that way. And the reason I think that is because of the context of when he says this. And so I know we're late in the sermon here, but I want you to really think about this. That James is telling us to care for the helpless. And then... He tells us to keep ourselves unstained from the world, and then he immediately gives an example about showing partiality, which we're going to talk about next week. You have two people come into your church, somebody who looks like they're rich and they got it all together, and another person who does not look that way and they maybe even smell a little bit, and who are you spending, who are you most naturally attracted to? And so he gives this example as if to say the pattern of the world, obviously, is to gravitate towards those who look like they're rich and successful. But that pattern is something that we need to reject because we don't think the way that God thinks and we don't live the way, we don't, we, sorry, we need to think the way that God thinks. Somebody, you got to correct me if I say something that wrong. I mean, that was really bad. We don't think the way the world thinks, we need to think the way God thinks. That's what I was trying to say there. So there's a difference between a Christian who's trying to follow Jesus and messes up and repents and asks the Lord for strength to do better and to become more like Jesus. There's a huge difference between that and somebody who claims to be a Christian and yet lives a life indistinguishable from somebody who doesn't claim to be a Christian. You see what we're talking about here? It's about rejecting those kinds of patterns to where your life is now indistinguishable from that of the world. And so that does give us some difficult things that we need to wrestle with. So as we come to the end of the sermon here, this is the part where Pastor Mike just steps on everybody's toes. 
We've got to wrestle with some of these things. Though. What does it mean to be unstained by the world? You've got to think about this in like every sphere of, sphere of life. I think there's a couple things. Like, for example, media choices. It's not a popular thing to talk about. I think we need to be careful with the things that we choose to set our eyes on that are going to draw us into those patterns of the world to say these things aren't wrong, right? The more you spend your time thinking about those things, it's going to draw you into thinking more like the patterns of the world. So what does that look like? That's, uh, you got to figure that out. But be wise about it. Be, be discerning about it. You want to email me and ask me my thoughts on a certain show? I'm not going to do that, so don't even think about that. But you know what I mean? Be discerning. Don't just, don't just not think about these things because we're Christians. So we've got to think different. Here's another example. I think our political affiliation, the way, we in, the way we approach how we think about politics has to be different than people who don't follow Jesus. It has to be. How could it not be? We're not driven by the same value system that the world is driven by. So how could we think as Christians that we're just going to neatly fall into one political party or another? We're never going to. We need to make sure when you think about these things, and political parties can be really helpful and be really good. But we need to make sure that our faith drives our political standpoints, that our political standpoints aren't driving our faith. Amen? Because when we allow ourselves to just get caught up in that structure of this is I'm in this party and so this is what I think about X, Y, and Z, we're allowing ourselves to get caught up in the patterns of thinking of the world. That's what this means to keep ourselves unstained by the world. Here's the bottom line. You're a Christian, so you're going to be weird. Amen? Some of y'all are especially weird. Can I get an Amen. <laughs> Just kidding. I mean, not kidding. Some of you are, but no. <laughs> We're going to be weird. We're not going to fit right in anywhere. Anywhere. <laughs> so we can't make that our goal. As Christians, we're called to keep ourselves unstained by the world. So you're going to stick out a little bit. And that means hard decisions in every sphere of life sometimes. It means thinking and constantly being discerning and asking the Lord for wisdom. If you don't have wisdom, if anyone lacks wisdom, what do you do? Ask the Lord who gives generously without reproach. It's the third test of genuine faith. And again, it's such a good test because it shows right where your heart is. Where's my heart? What do I want? Who do I want approval from? Do I want approval from the world? Or do I want approval from the Lord? Are you going to be perfect? Of course not. That's why we need the mirror of God's word. So what do you do when you mess up? Let me tell you what you don't do. You don't fake it, right? We can't let this idea of keeping ourselves unstained from the world and realizing where we don't, we can't let that drive us more into just faking it and trying to put on a happy face. You don't fake it. You repent and you rest in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Fake faith is easy to muster up for a little bit, but real faith shows itself in the way we live. So how's your tongue? 
Do you have a, a rein on it? Or are you like me riding that horse, just completely out of control? How's your heart? Do you care about the poor and needy and vulnerable around you? Are you asking the Lord? Let's again, let's ask the Lord to show us there's one thing I can do, God, to see the needs around me. How's your life? Are you getting caught up in the patterns of the world? Or are you okay with being weird for Jesus? I want to be weird for Jesus. Anyone want to be weird for Jesus with me? Amen. I'm going to be weird anyway. Might as well be weird for Jesus. So let's not be a people who settle for religion that looks good on the outside and is a sham on the inside. Let's make sure our faith is the real thing. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, once again, we just thank you for your word. And Lord, sometimes it just confronts us with really hard things, things that we don't want to deal with, we don't want to think about, Lord. Even as I stand here and feel convicted about areas I need to grow in this. It doesn't feel good always. I don't want to. Sometimes we cling to those old patterns, these old, those old ways of thinking, that old selfishness. So, Lord, we just pray that you'd break us of that because that's not where joy is found. Joy is found in following Jesus and giving him our entire lives. So, God, may we be a people whose faith is real. May we not be a people who just try to fake it with one another and with you and worse, deceiving ourselves. God, may our words, may our claims match our hearts and show us where we fall short. And, Lord, allow us to just apply the grace of Christ in those areas where we fall short, God. May we not be content to see ourselves in the mirror and walk away. May we be people who do what your word says, God. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the love that we've been shown in Christ, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, that God did not turn a cold heart towards us, but he sent us his son. Thank you, God, that you sent us your son. That's what it's all about. So, Lord, if there's areas that we need to stand out and be weird in a world that's not following you, we got to just be okay with that, God. Because the joy is worth it. You are worth it. We thank you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing together.